Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2. And we're, for our time together, we're going to take a look at a couple of the more secondary characters to the story of Jesus' birth. Not perhaps all the people that we normally rush to think about in terms of this story, but, but some of the, the people who, who exist kind of around the sides of the story. We're going to, we're going to, look, to look at the wise men to, tonight. Now, when you think of a traditional nativity scene, what you probably think of are, are a baby. You think baby Jesus. And you think of, of Joseph and Mary and probably some animals. And then there's these other people gathered around, some other, other folks that are there. And, and you think of, of the shepherds and then probably you think three wise men. Now, when we talk about the wise men, um, we actually don't know how many wise men there were. Um, we don't know if there was one or if there was a dozen. We, we don't know. Um, culturally, there probably would have been about 12, but a dozen wise men can make for a pretty crowded nativity scene. And they brought three gifts, and so that's where we assume that, hey, there must have been three. But really, we don't know how many there were. And the other thing that we don't know is exactly when they showed up. Um, as we look at the stories in the accounts in Luke and Matthew and different things, it's hard to exactly pin down exactly when the wise men were there. So as we talk about these wise men and you picture three wise men arriving at the same moment as the shepherds, know that there may be some truth to that, but that may be not at all what happened either. Um, but we're going to read in Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, your Bible, if you're following along, it may say Magi, it may say wise men. Um, magi is just not a, a word that we're overly familiar with culturally. Um, it's not a word that we say a lot, but, but and this will come into to focus a little later. It's the same root word as the word that we use for magic. But these magi show up on the scene and, and where we pick up their story is kind of at a weird sort of awkward moment in time. They show up to King Herod, who was only kind of a king, um, not really a king in what you would think of when if you were to think of a king, he was sort of like a puppet ruler under Rome. He had authority, but he was also a man under authority. And it's kind of this awkward moment because they show up to King Herod to ask him kind of a loaded question that at least we don't get much context for. Verse 2 says, and they showed up and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they show up to the king, the ruler, and say, well, where is the new ruler? Where's the one who's been born king? That's kind of a loaded, difficult question to, to answer and to ask. But what we do know about these magi is that they, they weren't from the area. They had traveled from another country. They will say we are from the east. We don't know exactly where, but we can make a couple of assumptions about them and their journey. Mostly, they had probably come a very, very long way. Um, being from the east probably meant that they had traveled a, a considerable from a considerable distance and probably that it had taken them a very, very long time to get there. The reality was there was just no quick way to travel. And so if you were going to travel a long distance, it probably took you a long 
time as they followed this star. Now, what do you think caused them to do this? Why, why, do you, why would they, they pack up everything and travel a very great distance only to, to follow a star in the sky? We're not really given into any real insight into, into why this took place, but culturally we can have some idea in, in the time of the day, um, many cultures at the time would look to things like stars and comets in the sky as symbols and signs in the world. And specifically, stars and comets were often seen as signs that a change in authority was about to happen. And we know from the life of Herod that he could be a paranoid and ruthless ruler when it came to his own power and his own authority to the point where at one point in his story, in his life, he had a whole bunch of members of his own family killed to hold on to his, posi or to hold on to his position of authority. And actually about 60 years after Jesus was born, there's an incident in Rome where em Nero, who was the emperor at the time, he had a whole bunch of people all around him killed. And the reason was because he saw a star, because he saw a comet over Rome. And he believed that, that a comet signified a change in authority. And so he believed someone was coming after his throne. And so he had everybody killed who could have potentially been one of those people. And so when they saw this star in the sky, when the wise men saw this star in the sky that was different, it was unique. They thought this means something. We need to follow this star and find out what's taking place. And culturally, they thought it meant that there was a new ruler, a new king over Israel. And so what we know about these wise men, these magi, is that they had seen a star and that it had led them on a tremendously long journey. And that it was long in both length and the time it took to get there. And that they've now arrived in Jerusalem. And, and this is a big deal for us to remember because there's something really profound about this moment and who these men are. They came from very far away. From the very beginning, from the very beginning of Jesus' life, from the moment he entered the world, God, Jesus, was calling people who were far from him. God was wanting to reach people that were far from him. I mean, when you think about it, who, who were the Magi? Were these, who were these guys? Are they good guys? Are they bad guys? Are they Jewish people? Were they worshipers of God? Really, they, they were magicians. They were wizards. They were sorcerers. They were soothsayers. They were pe people who were, they were functionally occult people. They, they were pagan, sun, and star worshiping people. These were not people that, that God had reached out to or called because they were love, because they loved God and were followers of Him. Him. They were there because they saw a star. And they believed that that star signified something. But yet, for some reason, God was calling these people. God was reaching out to them. God sent this star to lead these people to him. You see, when God came down from the very beginning, he came for everyone. He came for all people. When the, the, the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said that this would be good news of great joy for all people. And from the very beginning, we see that all people were a priority for God. Even though these people were miles and miles away, and spiritually they were just as far away from him, God's love was for them. God came for them, for these guys, for their lives. And right from the very beginning, God was calling people to him that were far from him. And we see in these guys both literally, physically, they had to travel a long way to get there. And spiritually, these were not godly men. 
They were the opposite of that. But God was calling them. Maybe tonight you and your story can identify with these guys. Maybe you would see yourself as far away from God. But even if that's the case in your life, you need to know one thing about Christmas and one thing about God. Christmas is all about God's love coming down in the form of a baby. And from the very beginning of this story, we see that God's love was coming for those who were seemingly the furthest from him. And for you tonight, God loves you. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're from or what you've done. I'm not going to start singing Backstreet Boys. But what I do know is that God loves you. God's love is for everyone. God loves everyone. God loves you as much as he loves me. God loves those who are far from him as much as those who follow him. God loves Christians as much as he loved King Herod. God loves Christians as much as he loves the Magi. God's love is for everyone. And his love was calling to these, these magi to him. And look what it says that they came to do while they were there. It says, when, he saw, or when we saw the star, when it rose, and we have come to worship him. These magi, these men who didn't know God, they weren't followers of God, but God's, the, the star had shown up and God's love had shown up and it begins to draw these men towards him. It calls them to him and immediately they, they decide they need to go and find out what is taking place here. These men who are far from God, God calls to him and inside they know that they're not just there to figure out what happened. They know that they're not just there to try and understand more, to investigate, that they're there to worship. Then the story goes on and unfolds a little bit, but if we move ahead to verse 9, we pick up the story and we discover that they were there to worship. Verse 9 says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What we have here is this picture that the love of Jesus in our lives will cause in our lives something to happen. That as we encounter the love of Jesus in our lives, something takes place. When the love of God came into the world, it caused these men to come and when the love of God found them and called them to God, when they found God, the only response they had was to worship him, was to give him their gifts. And for you and I, it's the same. When, wherever you find yourself tonight, if you're far from God or if you used to be close to God, but now you don't know that you're as close as you used to be, God is calling you tonight. God is calling you to him. He's calling you back to him. His love has come for you. And we're invited to love him back. Love has come down to us to meet us where we are, but we still have to say yes to him. And when we say yes to him, the overflow of our lives will be a desire to worship him with everything we have. Just like these wise men. Now, one of the gifts that you're probably familiar with, that, that you may have some sort of context in your life for, it, 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 you might have that for one of them, but the other two, frankincense and myrrh, are perhaps a little more out there for you. But what, what, is the meaning, what, what is the meaning behind each one of these gifts? Well, 
when we unpack it a little bit, what we can see that even in the gifts the wise men brought, the story of Jesus was being told. Gold. It's easy to see why gold was appropriate, an appropriate gift for Jesus Christ. Gold was considered the medal of kings. When gold was presented to Jesus, it acknowledged his right to rule. Frankincense. Frankincense is a kind of incense. And this was also a significant gift. It was used in the temple worship. It was mixed with an oil and that was used to anoint the priests of Israel. The wise men were giving Jesus this gift, which pointed to Jesus as our great high priest. And myrrh. Myrrh was probably the oddest gift to give. It wouldn't really fit the context of the other gifts given to Jesus really at all. They they were big, bold gifts showing who Jesus was. But myrrh showed something different. Myrrh was used for embalming. Um, It was for someone marked with death. I don't know why the wise men would have thought to bring someone they believed to be a king this kind of gift. But they did. And their gifts showed who Jesus was. Jesus is the king. He is our high priest and he came to die for our sins. There is a sense in which by faith we too offer our gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh as we offer ourselves to God. We begin begin with your myrrh. Myrrh is not only a symbol of Christ's death, but also of the spiritual death that, that will come to us as a result of our sin. But we give that sin over to Jesus saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I should receive the consequence of my sin, which is to be separate from your presence forever. But you took my sin, dying in my place. I believe that. Now I ask you to accept me as your child forever. The gift of myrrh come, or after the gift of myrrh comes our gift of frankincense. And with that, we acknowledge that while our life is impure, that Jesus as our high priest has made a way for our impurity to be washed away. And instead, all of that sin and evil in our lives, that when we're, that when we're looked at by God, it's not any of that bad stuff that he sees. That's not how he sees us. But because of Jesus, our high priest, God sees us as holy, righteous, and pure. And finally, we come with our gold. Gold symbolizes royalty. So when we come with our gold, we acknowledge the right of Christ to rule in our lives. We say, I am your servant, you are my king. And we give our lives to God to be the king and ruler over our lives. Tonight, God is calling you to him. From as far as you may feel that you are from him, his love has come for you tonight. And he's calling you from where you are to come to him. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. 
We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family we go. 